Back comes Bond. Down comes the mountain. On comes the excitement in the biggest 007 adventure of them all. On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Versus. James. Bond. Die Another Day is Bond at its best. Only Halle Berry kicks butt. Die Another Day. And welcome to Unloved Sequels, the podcast that brings you a blow-by-blow critique of Hollywood's worst-rated sequels. You know, the ones that some people think should never have been made. We're your hosts, Michael. Say hello. Hello. And I'm Claire. In this episode, we're taking a break from our usual format to tackle a huge franchise. It's time to talk Bond. We've each chosen our favourite unloved Bond movie, and we'll be putting them head-to-head to decide which one should have its double O designation revoked. So, Claire, how's this actually going to work? That's a really good question. We've talked about it so much, and I'm still not sure I know. So, we're each going to talk through the movie we've chosen. We're going to look at all the usual budget, box office, behind-the-scenes info that we usually cover. We're going to talk about what we like. We're going to talk about what we don't like about the movie. And then we're going to finish up by pitting the two movies head-to-head in eight categories to decide which is the winner. So we need to see what these two Bond movies are because probably people are just like, oh my God, I can't believe they're tackling. Which Bond movie, Claire, have you picked? Well, look, I'm going to freely admit I have cheated a little bit here because my favourite Bad Bond was both critically slated and a commercial flop at the time. But in the 50 odd years that have followed, it's developed quite a following and is now finding the high status it deserves within the franchise. With new faces for both the hero and the villain and a story of true love, you can be sure this never happened to the other fellow. It's on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah. <laughs> Go on, sound a bit more convinced. Oh, there's a time. I, don't, I like the colours. Colours were nice in it when I watched there it. There are lots of colours in this movie. <laughs> okay, so Michael, which bad bond did you choose? Okay, so my bad bond is slightly different. It's It goes back to my favourite bond, what is... Piers Brosnan, so that narrows it down quite a lot. And when we discussed about doing this, I really wanted to do Tomorrow Never Dies because it is one of the worst. For a lot of people's eyes, it's one of the people's worst Bond movies, but it's my favourite. But I didn't think it it was... Yeah, it's so good. But I didn't think it was hated enough. So I went with one of the lowest rated Bond movies, and it's probably one of... It wasn't even a flop. It was a ginormous success in the movie theatres. But I've done Die Another Day. There's going to be a lot of singing from me in this episode. I do apologise to Michael okay. and to everyone listening. Cross your fingers, guys, okay. that Michael just hits that delete button when he's editing and you don't have to listen to me singing Bond themes for the entirety of the episode. Anyway, yeah. I think this is going to be quite a meaty episode. So let's get stuck in. I'm going to bat first because my movie came first and it makes yes. sense to go through in chronological order. I suppose Ta-da! it's as good a way of doing it as any. So on Her Majesty's Secret Service. This movie was released on the 18th of December, 1969. It premiered at the Odeon Leicester Square. 
Um, interestingly, the avalanche sequence in the film, they recorded it in stereo. And so the Odeon installed a brand new speaker system purely to be able to show off this stereo effect in the theatre, which I thought was quite cool. The movie had a budget of an estimated 7 million. Domestic gross was 22,800,000. Overseas gross was 59,200,000. So that gave us a worldwide gross of 82 million dollars million dollars that's before adjusting for inflation i did have the the figures adjusted for inflation and i just realized i didn't put them in my notes did you happen to make a note of it because i know you looked at these figures as well but you probably went no because it's not my movie so i don't usually write it down this is why michael usually does the budget (laughs) stuff if i can find the figures later i'll put it in notes once you adjust it for inflation it it holds its place within the franchise oh, because yeah. obviously that that figure of eighty two million dollars is is fifty years old. So eighty two yes. million dollars then is worth a lot more than that. Now, the movie topped the United States box office when it opened with a gross of one point two million for the week, and it was the highest grossing film in January nineteen seventy. It's actually ranked as the eleventh top grossing film of nineteen sixty nine because. I think prior to 1977, detailed box office breakdowns weren't kept in quite the same way they are now. So generally for movies older than that, the entire box office was allocated to the year the movie was released. So although it was released in late 1969, it would have taken most of its box office in early 1970, but it's been allocated to 1969. So it's ranked 11th. What is the the box office total? Sorry to interrupt you. $82 million. Oh, 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 653 million. That's not nearly oh. a billion. It did very that's, well. That's, well. It's not that's nearly n- a billion. It's like half a billion, isn't it? Just that's over. Another, it's just on the up half. It's, I mean, it's more money than I've got. Yes, that is true. Yeah. Look, the film closed its box office run with $750,000 in the United Kingdom. It was the highest grossing film of the year. It was half of the gross for You Only Live Twice, which was the preceding Bond movie. Yep. But it was still one of the highest grossing films of 1969. As I said, it ranked 11th, but it was a drop from the previous movie, which is why it was considered to be a flop commercially. It did very well in the rankings of movies for that year. It held its place, but it compared to previous Bond movies, it yep. didn't do so well at all. And that's where this notion has come from, that it was a flop. In terms of the cast and creative team there's not many returners obviously the big change is that we've got a new bond for this movie so the only real returning cast are lois maxwell as money penny bernard lee as m and desmond Llewellyn as q we've got george lazenby coming in for his first and only appearance as bond Thank interestingly God. hey hang on a minute put me fist put me fist i know i know <laughs> this is bond versus bond but i don't want to fall out over this interestingly i didn't realize this when i was watching the movie which kind of suggests that they did it quite well george baker who played hillary bray in the movie also did the voice of james bond impersonating hillary bray so all of those scenes when he was at blofeld's lair talking yeah. to the girls and anywhere that any time that he was pretending to be Hillary Bray rather than himself, his voice was dubbed 
by the actor who played Hilary Bray by George Baker, which I didn't notice when I was watching the movie, which for a 1969 movie to have voiceover that looks... That was the only part of the film where I thought George Lazenby was like, oh, he can act. Now you've just burst a bigger <laughs> bubble. It wasn't him. No. It I mean, he was still him. acting. It was still his performance. It just wasn't his voice. Yes, exactly. And I, I it's like, what now when we watch it with in mute, I'm just like, oh my God, it's like watching a mime. I'm so disappointed. Why have you oh, told us so... this? Well, because it's interesting and it's true. I need my scorecard back, Claire. I need my scorecard Oh, no, no, it's too late. Back. Scores have been submitted. Oh. Scores have been submitted and final. Oh, uh, we have got lovely Diana Rigg in as Tracy in this movie, who is the main love interest. I'm in two minds as to whether to describe her as a Bond girl. She, she kind of starts off as a Bond girl, but by the end, she's a bit more than that. Um, I was so confused by her character. I was so confused what was going on. because I'm walking to the sea. No, it's a trap. Actually, it's not a trap. You're going to meet my father. I'm like, hang on. What is going on? That was the first point. <laughs> why, why is she not? Hang on. Is she, is she a part of the mafia? Is she not part of the mafia? Oh, you're marrying the mafia. Okay. I'm very confused what's happening in this movie. It's fine. It's fine. Don't worry. <laughs> we have got Telly Savalas playing Blofeld in this movie. So this is another recast. He he had been in one of the previous Bond movies, um, but was recast with Telly Savalas for this movie. Kojak plays Blofeld. We've got Ilsa Stepat playing Irma Bunt, who is the henchwoman yes. to Blofeld. I feel really bad for her. It's a really sad story. Um, th this film gave her quite a lot of recognition and she wasn't really able to, to revel in it. She had a heart attack less than a week after the movie was released and died. So this ended up being her final film role. Her character was supposed to carry over into the next Bond movie, what but obviously because she had died, Diamonds Are Forever was, was the next one, and so that was uh, going to carry is, over. Is Blow Blowfield? That's his name, isn't it? Well, no, I think yes, but I think Blowfield does appear in Diamonds Are Forever, but I think right. they had to they they basically had to rework some of the the movie, I think, to account for the fact that that she wasn't going to be in it. Yeah. I mean, actually, the, well, no, I'll talk about, I was going to talk about the ending. I'm going to talk about the ending later um, okay. because it's not directly connected to this. Um, but yeah, so I think they they made some changes to, to Diamonds Are Forever to reflect the fact that she wasn't going to be in it. Mm -hmm. I'd also like to give a notable mention to Joanna Lumley, who plays oh. quite a minor oh. role. She is one of Blofeld's um, Angels of Death, I think they're called. Um, she plays the English girl, is the name she's credited under, because they didn't bother to give them all names, because why would they need to give a bunch of generic women in a Bond movie names? So she had a very small part, but she actually spent two months on the production. She dubbed the voices of various other members of the group of angels um, in German, Chinese and Norwegian. She also, um, a lot of them, when they're sitting around with nothing to do, they're sat doing crochet and knitting and things. And she taught them how to do that. So she... Let's be honest now. If they did give her a name, it would be very stereotypical. It would be a very weird name like Honey Scone. Because whoever writes Bond films <laughs> comes up with the smuttiest <laughs> names ever. Like dripping oh, gently, <laughs> butter scone. But interestingly, in this movie, that doesn't happen. No. None of the women have got suggestive names at all. You know, Tracy is is your main sort of Bond girl, if you like, and then you've got the the Angels of Death. I think two of which do have names. The ones that he speaks to have got names, but they're just very normal girl names. They're not, there's no double entendres. It, it, we've not got the whole kind of who pussy galore thing. To, or... You mean who he sleeps with? He talks to both of them first and then oh. sleeps with, <laughs> yes. And then, uh, but they get credited with names, which is more than can be said for Joanna Lumley. 
Oh, yeah. So anyway, so that's our, our kind of principal cast. The movie was directed by Peter R. Hunt, who has no other particularly notable credits as a director, but he did editing work on most of the Bond movies that came prior to On Her Majesty's Secret Service. So that's kind of how he was connected. He'd kind of been working his way up towards it. The story, obviously, the the novel was written by Ian Fleming. Yep. The screenplay was done by Michael Maybaum, I think is how you say it, or Maybaum. He did all the Bond adaptations, starting from Doctor No all the way through to License to Kill. He did all of the, the screenplays for that. And we had some additional dialogue work from Simon Hang on it. So the guy that wrote the screenplay for all the other Bond movies also wrote the Bond movie, the screenplay for this. Yes. But in the film, he still wrote lines to make them out that the, that him and the Bowfield have never met each other. So he... Well, that's so... Yes. So they they decided to follow the book very closely in their adaptation for this movie, which is fine. They wanted to, you know, they wanted to be very yeah. true to the book. Whether they just didn't spot or whether they consciously ignored the fact that because the movies had been made in a different sequence to the books, yeah. it meant that Bond and Blofeld had met previously. Whereas in the stories, in the books, this is the first story in which they meet. So yeah. it, it comes across in this movie as the first time they've met when actually their paths have crossed several times because we've seen Blofeld I think two of the previous movies we saw him in that kind of creepy villain over his shoulder stroking the cat kind of classic Blofeld you don't see his face I'm yeah. not sure we even heard his voice and then he did appear on screen in one of the other previous Bond movies face to face with Bond so they met they actually met him on screen and yet in this movie yes you're right they they wrote it as if they were meeting for the first time because that's how it's written in the book. And nobody, either nobody thought or nobody cared to go, yeah, but that doesn't match up with the continuity of the movies we've already made. I don't know previous, whether they thought... The because, previous five movies, whatever it is. Because they were changing Bond, they thought maybe they... I mean, to be fair, continuity doesn't seem to be a high priority no. across the whole Bond franchise. Yeah. So, because we've seen... We see characters carry through various different continuities all the way through the franchise. Yeah. So, I think maybe they just went, oh, okay, well, people won't notice. And maybe in 1969, people didn't notice. But now people did know. It probably goes back to those days of no one had access to this stuff from home. So no one really mm. watched movies. Well, this so. is the thing. It had been a few years since this had happened. So actually, unless you were a diehard fan of the movies, yeah. you're probably not going to sit there and go, oh, but hang on, they did meet in that previous movie. You're just going to go, yeah. oh, okay, it's fine. Because I didn't even, I didn't you haven't rewatched it recently. Yeah, no, even I did. I watched them all recently and I was like, Oh, that's the same person. Though I'd never seen Magic yeah. Secret. Yeah, I've never seen Magic Secret Service until I watched it for the podcast. You're welcome. Like, yeah, yeah. You could say <laughs> that. You could say that. But I was very much kind of. I was watching it and I was like, well, I've never watched it because I always like my bonds to be like a little block. So if I'm watching the Roger Moore ones, I'm watching all the Roger Moore ones. If I'm watching the Pierce Brosnan yeah, ones, yeah. I'm watching all the Pierce Brosnan ones. So when it came to George Lazen, I was like, he made one. Can't be it's a bit of an outlier because it's it's a one-off. It's a one-off. But it's it's worth watching. I think I I stand by it. It's a good movie. Hey, should we talk about yeah. the ratings? This feels like a good time to talk about yes. ratings. Um, so on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, this is why I feel a bit of a fraud putting this up for unloved sequels because it currently holds a critics rating of 81%. Oh, now, I think we should probably factor in that there will be contemporary to us reviews 
included yes. in that. This movie has had a couple of re-releases as well. Um, and there will have been DVD releases, there will have been Blu-ray releases, and these will have all garnered new reviews. The reviews at the time were not particularly favourable. Obviously, there's no like percentage statistics for that from back yeah. then. But the, the reviews at the time were not so favourable. But it does currently hold an 81% critics rating on Rotten Tomatoes, 64% audience rating. It's got 6.7 out of 10 on IMDb. So it's it's rated by the audiences anyway as middling to fair, I suppose, rather yeah. than uh, a terrible movie. And yeah, the critics speak very highly of it at the moment. But yeah, they didn't so much at the time in terms of production information as of 2021 it says in the notes i have in front of me i guess because they were anticipating a new bond announcement that still hasn't come so to date george lazenby is the youngest actor to have portrayed james bond at the age of just 29 during filming he was Um, only 29 i know i know that's in my notes as well i was like he is an old 29 year old i thought it was like 41 i was just that's yeah no he was 29 but people looked older then i look back at pictures from when i was born of like my grandparents because i'm probably at the point now where i'm closer to the age my grandparents were when i was born than the age my parents were and i look at the pictures of my grandparents and i thought they looked so old and the ages they are is not considered old now. So I think everybody looked older, sort of in the yeah. 60s and 70s, than than the equivalent age looks now. But yeah, 29, he, that's... I, I also, I just think we're at an age where we think the younger look too old. Like my friend's kids are like 60 and I'm like, they look like 22. You shouldn't let them out of the house like that. Or, or my parents look too young to be in their 70s. Maybe we're just at an age group where everybody looks... Where we're in complete denial about the ages people around us are because we're in complete denial about being middle-aged. Possibly. Possibly. Yes. So the casting, it was quite an interesting casting of George Lazenby because he was not particularly an actor prior to this role. He'd he'd done a fair amount of modelling. He'd done... um, a TV ad campaign for Fry's Mint Cream in the UK. So he was known as the Big Fry, Mr. Big Fry, I think they called him, because he'd done this big ad campaign. Um, basically, he blagged his way into this job. He he managed to get hold of a suit that had been ordered for, for Sean Connery, but Sean Connery yeah. never collected it. So um, he went and, and nabbed this suit of Sean Connery's. He, he got a Rolex. He had his hair cut like Sean Connery. He went in to, to meet with Albert Broccoli and uh, Harry Zaltzman, the producer and the director, and just completely blagged his way through, told them about all these acting credits that he had. He got a, a, to get his screen test, got through the screen test, and then later confessed, I think after he'd got the job, that he wasn't really an actor. And apparently the director then replied to him, you just strolled in here and managed to fool two of the most most ruthless bastards in the business. I don't know which two of the three he means were the ruthless bastards. That's not very clear because he met with three people. Probably Broccoli. And the producer? Is, did, yeah. or does he not consider himself a ruthless bastard? Anyway. Well, he went from he just, editor to director. I think he's probably yeah. quite laid back. You just strolled in here and managed to fool two of the most ruthless bastards in the business. You're an actor. Which is a very 1960s movie way of... Hey, hey, you're hired. Um, Originally, the producers intended, which I found this really interesting in the context of comparing to Die Another Day, actually. 
Um, mm-hmm. Originally, they were going to explain away the change in Bond's appearance by saying he'd had plastic surgery because he was becoming too recognisable to be a secret agent. Everyone yeah. knew who he was um, with Sean Connery's face. So they were going to say he'd had some kind of surgery to change his appearance. But then uh, they decided not to bother with that. I don't really know why, but they they just decided to make absolutely no reference to the changing cast at all, apart from at the very end of the cold open, where he he looks straight into the camera and says, well, this never happened to the other fellow. I even texted you then. I was like, this doesn't seem right. <laughs> That's so weird. <laughs> it's very weird. It's very it's weird because they only do it that once. I think if they'd made it a thing, it yeah. might have worked a little bit better. It's the fact that it, they they completely ignore the fact that he's changed appearance, apart from that one little line to camera, mm-hmm. which is a bit no. odd. But anyway. Yes. So now, this feels like a good time to talk about the end of the movie, which I was going to talk about earlier when we were talking about... Um, Ilsa Stepper and I didn't. Yeah. Um, originally, the movie was going to end after Bond and Tracy's wedding. They were going to drive off into the sunset and it was going to be a beautiful, happy ending. And then Tracy's death scene was going to carry over to be the opening of Diamonds Are Forever. But yeah. because Lazenby wasn't going to carry on, if Lazenby had stuck around, if he had been in Diamonds Are Forever, that's yeah. how it would have ended up being. Although we now know with hindsight that that wouldn't have worked either because Ilsa Stepat had died, would have died in the meantime, but they didn't yeah. know that when they made this decision. Unless they filmed them back to back at the time, then it would have worked because she would have been alive. If they filmed it yes, they, they could have decided to just film it back to back if he was going to yeah. carry on through. But because they knew, because he he decided before he'd even finished making this film that it was going to be his last movie, his, his only Bond appearance. Um, yeah. Do you know why so they he kind said of, that? I do. I've got a few reasons. I'm going to come to that shortly. Okay. But it, why? Do you have notes as well, I guess? And we'll see if I have, your I, notes I, compare I, I just, with mine. I, I, yeah, I just found some really random note. I haven't written it down. It's just part of an article I read. But go ahead. Go on. Go, go. So, yeah. So, they had to to pull that into the end of this movie and make it that kind of um, bittersweet ending. And actually, they they shot the movie, that ending scene twice. In the first take, George Lazenby brought himself to tears filming yeah, the, the scene. And then the director wanted to make them reshoot it because he said that Bond does not cry. They only did those two takes, but Lazenby managed to convince Hunt managed to convince Hunt to use the first take. So what we see in the movie is the Bond crying. I mean, it's you know it's still quite reserved because it's 1969, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but that was um, we that was why we got to see this kind of tender moment that that came from Lazenby. So you have to give him a bit of credit for that and that's the only time until um until skyfall that we've seen bond cry that all of the other bonds up to up to daniel craig have not shed a single tear through the course of their movies reasons why and b did not continue with the franchise there are quite a few reasons the main reasons according to the the dvd commentary documentary and b was a bit of a cocky one i think and didn't get on very well with Albert R. Broccoli, he he wound him up. He wanted to do lots of his own stunts, which he wasn't allowed to do. And there was an incident where he just was like, sod it, I'm going to do it anyway. Took himself skiing off down the slopes on his own, broke his arm, screwed up the production schedule. So that didn't make him very popular with Broccoli. The, the press, would it surprise you if I told you that even in 1969, the British press 
were a bunch of bastards and no. they <laughs> they wrote loads of really nasty stories about I don't know whether they just decided that they didn't like him because he wasn't Sean Connery or because he wasn't British or I don't know they obviously decided that they didn't like him as Bond and so before the movie had even come out they were writing negative articles about him there was there was an interview that apparently Diana Rigg had giant had kind of made a joke across the room to George Lazenby during this interview of oh I hope you, I hope you had garlic for lunch because I did because they had a kissing scene coming up and yeah. then that got twisted by the press into Diana Rigg hates George Lazenby so much that she eats garlic before their love scenes which is completely not what happened it's not what she said but that's how it works with the British press glad to see things haven't changed in 50 years Lazenby also thought that the Bond franchise had kind of had its time because of that there was kind of a new um a new wave of more sophisticated movies things like the graduate and easy rider as the move, as movies were moving into the 70s he felt like bond was going to fa- sort of fizzle out and he didn't yeah. want to be part of that so um yeah so and he even before this movie came out he was saying to his agent he didn't want to do it again He'd been offered a seven movie deal. He'd signed a letter of intent to be in Diamonds Are Forever. He'd had uh, an initial instalment on his fee that he had to give back after he pulled out. But I but... read another interview that he was involved uh, mm. from like the mid 90s. And I haven't got, I didn't write it really write the information down. So don't, it's not going to be word to word. But because of the, he felt the political landscape at the time when it was going towards more like, the hippie anti-establishment mm. hippie flower power people was more kind of like the up and coming kind of thing. He didn't because he was young. He didn't want to be seen a part of being part of the situation, a part of the the government. And he thought that yeah Bond would be people would distance themselves from James Bond. That's interesting. I didn't come across that in any of my research, but that completely makes sense. That completely that, makes sense. And that's one of the reasons why he was a bit kind of like, I don't want to be Bond because young people are going to hate Bond. It's going to affect my career and Bond's going to flop. Yeah. And, he was and it's such and a he... strong association. We can see from Sir Sean Connery that mm-hmm. he, everything he has done since, and he's done, he had a huge body of work and he, gave some amazing performances in other roles but he the was Avengers. still always <laughs> that's not quite where my mind was but yeah <laughs> if, if you like I'll I'll let you have that one for today but you know even up to his death it was you know James yeah. Bond actor Sean Connery always yeah. every conversation it, the, the two names go in the same sentence you can't escape having been Bond um, and maybe Lazenby, I mean, Lazenby didn't really have a stellar career after this. So maybe he did find the same thing even after only one movie. But I can see, absolutely see the logic in, in what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, you are, make you are typecast. Because if I, even to the point of Timothy Dalton, when he pops up in stuff, and I'm always like, if somebody's walking past in the background or in the house, I go, oh, Bond's on. And the other day I was watching Glass Onion and my husband went, oh, Bond's in this. Like it's a natural gut reaction. Yeah. They don't have names. It's just, oh, that's James Bond. Have you ever played yeah. Bond? You stay as Bond and that's it. You're yeah, absolutely. Explained. Once a Bond, always, always a, Bond. a Bond. There is no escaping. Interestingly, George Lazenby is the only actor to get a Golden Globe nomination for playing James Bond. They desperate that year. Desperate. Well, no, I think, it, I think it might have been a Best Newcomer nomination rather than Best oh. Actor. Did he but win? But still, no. Oh, the nomination, no. yeah, no. But, but you know, no other Bond has been nominated for Golden Globe for their portrayal, so he must have got something right somewhere along the line. Well, no no other actor went into playing Bond being unknown before they played Bond, though. 
if it's a newcomer award, all the other oh, ones have been established. <laughs> <laughs> semantics, semantics. <laughs> um, do you want to hear some alternative castings? I'm going to yes. rattle through them. I'm going to rattle through them. Um, so, uh, Timothy Dalton was offered the part even back oh. then, but he was only in his sort of early mid twenties at that point. So he felt that he was too young and too inexperienced to take on the role at that point. And obviously, as we know, that, he that went on mind. to play. That boggles my mind because in my mindset, Sean Connery is old. Timothy Dalton's not as old as Sean Connery, but realistically, they're actually quite close in age, if you think about it. Like there must be only like 10, 15 years in between them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So so Lazenby was 29 when he played Bond. So at the same point that uh Dalton was, I think, what, 24, 25? Yeah. Um, I think Sean Connery was 31 when he started as Bond. Right. And yeah. made five movies. I don't know. I can't remember the exact dates of those. So he, he was probably 10, 15 years maybe older than Timothy Dalton, yeah. which is not much. No, not really. But yes, to your, to our minds. Because when we were young, Timothy Dalton was Bond and Sean Connery was the old man who used to be Bond. Yes. Really. So I guess that's probably where that mindset comes from. Roger Moore was also considered for Bond at this point. So between uh, between the resignation of Sean Connery at the beginning of filming on You and You Lived Twice and its release, producer Harry Saltzman had planned to work on uh, The Man with the Golden Gun next. That was going to be adapted in Cambodia and they yeah. were going to use Roger Moore as the next Bond. But then there was political instability that meant that they couldn't use Cambodia as a filming location. Um, and so uh, Roger Moore signed up for another season of The Saint. So that's why we didn't have more as Bond at this stage but again his time came a couple of movies later yeah and then it gets a little bit more left field uh go on so, say it say that name you know i want to hear i'm oh no i'm going to come to that one in a minute so okay um producer albert r broccoli wanted to cast jeremy brett as james yeah. bond he played freddie in my fair lady so you can kind of yeah you can see that's not too much of a stretch um he declined the role uh, saying it's the sort of role you can't afford to turn down, but I think it would have spoiled my life if I had got it. He already recognised once mm. a Bond, always a Bond. Oliver Reed was was candidate at one Ooh, point. I know, right? Drunk Bond. Very drunk Bond. Well, yes, actually <laughs> drunk Bond. They thought about it, but then again, they thought, well, it, he had such a strong image as himself, yeah. even by that stage. And I think Albert Arbrockley commented, with Reed, we would have had a far greater problem to destroy his image and remould him as James Bond. We just didn't have the time or money to do that. Yeah. He was such a strong personality. They wouldn't have been able to turn him into the kind of smooth, suave, what they need from their bonds. <laughs> Dick Van Dyke turned it down because of his inability to perform a British accent. The fact that he was even considered... I know, I see your face, and that's the face my brain makes. Um, and the name that that Michael is waiting for me to say. <gasps> say it, say it, say it. Adam West. I would have fucking loved that. <laughs> so he's he's he was a close personal friend of Albert R. Broccoli at the time, um, and he was offered the part. He was very tempted, um, but he turned it down because he felt that it should have been played by an English actor. Which, of course, it wasn't, because Lazenby's no. Australian. But anyway. 
I think I actually think Adam West would have made a great Bond. Yeah, I think he wouldn't have been a bad Bond at all. When and when I, is this in terms of his chronology as Batman? Would this have been after, or would this have stopped him from being Batman? Well, no, Batman was over by sixty nine. It's sixty six. It started. It was over by sixty eight. Ah, so then they would have had a similar, in a different way, a similar problem to the to the Oliver Reed thing, then, wouldn't they? Because it would have been Batman as Bond. Yeah, I think that would have been tricky for the audience to overcome. But I do yeah. agree. I think he would be a good Bond. He would have been a good Bond. It'd be very camp. Um, it would be more like the Roger Moore one. Well, this is the thing. And actually, with this movie, camp. they were trying to get away from some of that camp. And then they went to Roger and Moore and then they made it even And then, camper. Well, then they thought, screw this. Let's go back where we were before, I think, is what happened <laughs> with Roger Moore. But they were trying to make a much more serious movie yeah. with this one. So I think maybe that's that might have been a reason. But it, it was him that turned it down rather than him not being offered it. So... Yes. Donald Pleasance was replaced as Blofeld because uh, the producer and the director felt that he wasn't particularly suited for the physical side of the role. I mean, why then go to Telly Savalas? I'm not sure. But Yul Brynner was originally considered for the role. Oh, they obviously went, decided that they were going to go strong with the bold look at that point yeah. if they're considering Yul Brynner and then Telly Savalas. Actresses considered for the part of Tracy included Bridget Bardot, Jacqueline Bissett and Catherine Deneuve. Um, apparently Bardo was the first choice but ironically instead of doing this movie she went off and made uh, a movie with Sean Connery instead oh, but right. I love that we got Diana Rigg in this yes. movie I'm a massive so fan so that suits me just fine now so Michael what do you like in this movie tell me because you said you've never seen it before this so tell me what what did you think on having seen this for the first time against a backdrop of all of the other Bond movies. Well, I, there was aspects of it. I just felt like a lot of it just didn't pay off. I love watching. I read. I love the um, period of time. I love the time period of the sixties. Um, yeah, I'm really into that, and I just love the color and the textures of clothing. I, that really was like, oh, pretty. It reminded me a lot of like. This is what uh, Mike Myers got his idea from Austin Powers for, because I swear. Oh, completely. This is absolutely the version of Bond that they took oh, the whole inspiration of the Austin Powers thing from. Oh, it, the haircut, the the ruffles, everything. Oh, the, the, this Powers. is a very frilly movie. Exactly. But and also like and down to the Blofeld and the the henchwoman and it yeah, yeah. it's so clearly this movie. And they're... I love when they when they film stuff when they use the screens to do a car racing scene. But my mindset because I grew up watching Herbie movies, I wanted Herbie to go past in the in the <laughs> drag racing. <laughs> I was like, where's Herbie? Because in my mindset as a kid when I watched those sixties movies, they're all always Herbie movies like the Love Bug. So I yeah, was a bit yeah. like. This scene is missing Herbie. They should have just put Herbie going along in the background somewhere. That was one thing I noticed quite a lot. I really can't stomach Bond movies anymore that don't have Judy in them. So, like, Skyfall, <laughs> Judy's dead, Bond. Look, dead. we can't... It was 1969. <laughs> we can't really hold this against them. She was alive. <laughs> she she was alive. <laughs> she was alive. But it was 1969. They were not going to be having a female M. In 1969. Their mistake. Their mistake. Judy Dench is is M. And that's the end of it. You know, I, I, I was a bit like, oh, she's not in it. That's disappointing. What Minus no, one point from me. I just Judy <laughs> not being in it. I didn't like the fact that the angels of death didn't pay off. Those women storyline that they spent. Yeah. 45 that's, that's minutes building up. I was a bit that's like, an oh. awful lot of storyline to then go. 
Oh, and then they just got on a bus and nothing happened because... I was expecting Bond to be cornered and he was like, what's going on? And then he presses his little remote control button and their little perfume pilot thing pops up and then like, mm, well, now it's Stetson Weiss and we're going to kick the shit out of you. That's what I wanted. Did not get that. Like the fembo- like the Austin Powers Fembots. Yeah, exactly. They d- didn't pay off. I was a bit like, do no. they turn up in further Bond films? No. No. They're just no. walking they, around. They all just went home. Countries there's there's just scattered around kit. the globe. Yeah. Scattered around the globe. There's a load of pensioners <laughs> with their crocheting that Joanna Lumley taught them and their little vanity case just waiting to be at every no. night at midnight. They listen to the radio and Blofeld doesn't call them. Yeah. And also, they go the back end, to their crochet. The ending for me was very underwhelming. And also the fact that. Oh, really? I was a bit like, oh. He didn't die from his neck thing, but he's got a nice neck brace on. Oh, the wife's dead. Oh, that's where we're leaving it. He's supposed to save the world. I didn't really feel the world was in peril in this movie. Like with Bond movies, I want to be some nutter with a big laser. And there was none of that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, the thing is, you, ha- you have to give this film a little bit of leeway for the fact of, of when it was made. Um, yeah. Although, yes, I mean, the prior... Jane- prior Bond movies to this I suppose with Sean Connery you still had nutters with lasers but again they were they were trying to move away from all of this is why there's so little Desmond Llewellyn in this movie which is one of my big issues with this movie is there is not enough Q in this movie I agree I like Q I am a big Desmond Llewellyn fan this will probably come up again when we talk about Die Another Day because I have (laughs) feedback on this (laughs) but um they made a deliberate choice in this movie to not have all the flashy gadgets and the here's a magic car that you can push a button and it gets wings or it has guns or it fly whatever. Yeah. They were kind of moving away from all of that. And I suppose with that it means that the villains have to move away from being crazy guys with lasers. Bond. Because if Bond hasn't got the gadgets to defeat them, then they can't be there. Yeah, but the problem is though, that's like if you remove that stuff from Bond, that's like removing the Batmobile from Batman. Yes. Just a dude in a costume. This is yes. just a dude in a suit. But yeah. karate chopping. Hiya! Hiya! <laughs> that was a lot of 60s. And a lot of rapping. skiing. So how Ooh. do we move on to the next part of the conversation, Claire? What's next? You've done your breakdowns. <laughs> so there's so much more I could say about this movie. Uh, but I'm conscious of time. So let's move on. <laughs> Michael, tell us about Die Another Day. So Bond is back. But this time, he's not just ridding the world of a villain that has the sights of world domination. He also has the sights on a reboot as he takes one step towards franchise destruction with more CGI than Madonna's last Instagram post. This is Die Another Day. Okay, so Die Another Day opened on the 20th of November 2002, starring Piers Brosnan as Bond, Halle Berry as Jinx, Rosamund Pike as Miranda Frost, Toby Steeland as the villain Gustus Gray. So if I say it right, did I say it Gustav. right? Gustav. 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 Gustav Graves, everyone. Gustav Graves. We won't need to say it again. We'll just call him Toby Stevens for the rest of the okay. episode. Okay. Toby Stevens as the villain Gustav Graves and Judy Dench Nailed as it. M. And John Cleaver's Q. I was going to cut all the other crap out beforehand, but now I'm going to have to leave it in. Right. 
It made four hundred thirty-one point nine million at the box office against a budget of a hundred and forty-two million. Adjusted for inflation, it took seven hundred and three million dollars at the box office worldwide. Mm. This budget was over two and a half times the budget of GoldenEye, so Pierce Brosnan's first movie. So it was okay. like they like tripled the doubled the budget for it, or nearly tripled the budget for him. I should I say? Um, so like they were like, "This gonna be so successful, we can throw the kitchen sink at it," and that's what they did. Mm-hmm. It was made to mark the 40th anniversary and also being the 20th Bond movie in the franchise. They even delayed the re- the release date to mark the anniversary. What means they had more time to write this script. And I don't think they took it. I think they all took vacation. It's like, fuck it. Let's all fuck off. It ended at number six at the worldwide box office in 2002. The movies that it beat out to the top spot were Men in Black came in at number five. Star Wars Episode 2, The Attack of the Clothes, was four. Spider-Man was number three. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, number two. And the biggest grossing film of 2002 was The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. It's a lot of books (laughs) and comics. It's a lot of books. It's a lot lot of of books, books. isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I appreciate that they're all huge movies, but it's not an exciting list is it no so as you know claire usually does the breakdown of all the interesting facts so i am hmm. not going to take her as long as claire took on her Majesty's <gasps> Secret service because I'm... your movie isn't as interesting as mine no i just couldn't be bothered to read up on this movie as much as you do <laughs> so, i like to do my job rotten tomato scores critics sit at 55 percent audience at 41 percent so mm-hmm. at the moment. So so here's some interesting facts I found out about this movie. The the, the outstanding sword fight scene that we mm. get in the first quarter that seems like a lifetime. The filmmakers decide to speed that scene up because you are. They, they decide to speed up the scene. So the sword fight, mm-hmm. speed sped it up. Sped it up, is that the word you're looking for? What well, so what we see is the sped up. That's the sped up version. Yeah, they did it really slow. Old man slow. Oh, my God. See, I already watched that scene thinking it was like the fight is a little bit like the fight scene in Bridget Jones's diary. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) Between Hugh Grant and Colin Firth. Yeah, it's true. It's like there's just just two middle-aged men having a really shit fight. And now you're telling me it was even shitter than that and really slowly. And then they sped it up to make it look like a normal speed sword fight. You must feel like this how I felt about George Lazenby's voice acting when he's in disguise, because that was a load of shit as well. So <laughs> <laughs> this was Piers Brosnan's least favourite Bond movie, which he appeared in. This is everyone's um, least favourite Bond movie that he appeared in. <laughs> he hated it, the overtop CGI and wanted to make a movie stripped back, a stripped back Bond, like Casino Royale. What was made after this? Where he wasn't mm. recasting. So you kind of look at it and go, okay. That makes sense. It's a bit like the whole how Joel Schumacher wanted to make a stripped back Batman movie before Batman and Robin and the studio said no. And then they made the dark Batman Begins and the Dark Knight series, what Joel Schumacher wanted to do. But the studio, yeah. didn't let him. it's that whole thing when the studio goes, no, you're wrong. And they fuck up and they go, well, maybe they're right. But we won't tell them that. We'll just fire them and then we'll get somebody else in. Yeah. So we can make, make it sound like it was our idea. idea. <laughs> yeah. 
Even Roger Moore voiced his displeasure with this movie, criticizing the invisible car and the weak CGI as being a low for the franchise. This guy has fucking nice in his shoes in nearly every film I watch with Roger Moore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Roger Moore is slagging off your bond, maybe. (laughs) He was in Moonraker when 95% of it takes place in space where Jaws gets a girlfriend. (laughs) Yeah. Rosamund Pike was only cast Mm. five days before the start of principal photography. And I remember remember when you press play on this, you're like, Rosamund Pike's in this. And you're all excited. And at the end of it, you're like, why is she in this film and she's awesome yeah because Rosamund Pike is a brilliant actress so I was yeah. really excited so so much as you hadn't seen on Her Majesty's Secret Service prior to doing this podcast I had yeah. not seen Die Another Day it's the only Bond movie that I haven't seen I've been really proud of this for what 21 years now yeah. um, and I finally succumbed and watched it for this and I was like okay Rosamund Pike's in it though because she, she's a brilliant actress so I was quite excited about that and then yeah, yeah that's what yeah. we have uh, yeah, and I don't she think she wasn't given fault. the chance to shine. I think it's yes. fair to say. Well, four weeks before filming began, the only parts that were cast were the regulars, Piers Brosnan, Judy Dench, Samantha Bond, Pauline Salmon, and John Cleese were the only ones who were in the previous Bond movie. Four weeks. Four weeks. Four, like a month. They are the wow. only cast, so all the other cast didn't get their scripts till four. I weeks mean, presumably, before. yeah, there were conversations. It was just that people hadn't been signed on fully and so didn't have scripts out and but still four weeks maybe that's from getting so they they didn't have their scripts until four weeks before they started shooting no i don't know what what a normal turnaround is but that doesn't sound like very long to learn especially when you've especially when you've got a movie that's designed for stunts and stuff and getting yeah yeah, yeah. character and relationships maybe that's how we ended up with toby stevens maybe maggie smith rang up and went my son's bored you got anything for him he went (laughs) oh just reading a script, it goes in production in four weeks. I am uh, quite sure Toby Stevens got this job on his own merit before anyone starts to get upset I by the suggestion I think that he's some sort of Nepo baby. Yeah, I think Is it Nepo yeah. baby or Nepo baby? I keep seeing it written down. Apparently it's a thing everyone's talking about. don't know. What does it mean? <laughs> nepotism. It's oh. short for nepotism, so it's probably Nepo baby. But Nepo sounds really weird. So Nepo baby in the sense of that somebody who's still mummy cuddled? No, no, no. As in nepotism. So you're getting a job based on who you are or who you're connected to rather than. So because oh. you, your your suggestion there is that possibly he got the job because he is the son of a famous actress who is friends with someone who's in the movie. Isn't that how Hollywood Where, works? Well, yeah. I mean, there's a whole thing at the moment. <laughs> Everyone's obsessed with our people, nepotism babies. Is People are just slagging off people who are successful and related to someone else successful. It's the whole thing. It's the whole thing. I'm surprised you haven't heard of it. It's on BuzzFeed no, loads. I don't go on BuzzFeed. I feel like we've gone off topic. We have. Are we, we talking have. talking about we've Rosamund got... Pike? <laughs> we are. And then the casting. <laughs> so this film wasn't a great time for Holly Berry either, even though she like she took the job and this was before she won her Oscar. Actually, while in production, she had to take a break to go and collect her Oscar for Monster's Ball. But during this production of this, she ended up having to have a 35-minute operation to remove a shrapnel grenade from her eye that was during injured, she injured during filming. And oh. while they were d- doing the love scene in Cuba, she choked on a fig, what required 
Piers Brosnan to give her the Heilig maneuver. Oh no! So she, I don't think she looks back at this movie and go, "That was a career choice." <laughs> so I wow. think she's all right in it. I think she does. She's Holly Berry as Holly Berry. You know, I think that's that weird thing when people get nominated for the Oscars and stuff. They then make money making decisions instead of making career decisions. It's been quite obvious mm. in a lot of actors and actresses' careers where they've. Um, taken roles afterwards for the cha-ching more than because they've been offered the bigger roles because of the yeah Oscar nomination. So the Ice Palace that we have in the great what should have been the finale, but it wasn't the finale of this movie. About <laughs> the bit that we all thought was going to be the end of the movie, and then it carried on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know the bit you mean. That took six months to construct, but it still looks like styrofoam. <laughs> Is it an actual Ice Palace? No, it was just made. They oh. built it. They built. They spent six months. They couldn't yeah, get but not the cast. Hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. They couldn't get the cast together to to film the fucking film. But they remembered to start building the ice palace before. <laughs> but it wasn't built out of ice, was it? I think some of aspects of it were, but I think a lot oh, of it wow. wasn't. I think kind of like I think kind of like close up shots must have been but I don't think a lot of it was. It was constructed on the soundstage. 20 companies paid $17 million to have their products featured in this movie. It was a record high for the Bond franchise. Good grief. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty stunt like the watch, his watch and his phone and things like that yeah. are all, and the car, they're all quite standard. 20 companies. Yep. I think they might have wasted their money because I don't remember any product placement in that movie. I think it was kind of like aspects of cars and watches and, you know, that kind of gadget shit they always bring up with Bond films. Mm. This is directed by a New Zealand director, Lee Tamahori, who did some weird movies beforehand. Triple X, State of the Union, what is a sequel to the Van Diesel movie, Triple X, that doesn't even mm. have Van Diesel in it. Mm. And I really got the impression that this is what they were going to. He also did a film that you really like, Claire. Did he? Along Came a Spider, the Alex Cross movie. Oh, I do like that movie. I don't think, I haven't watched it for a long time. And I think if memory serves right, it's not necessarily a very good movie, but I do like it. Yeah, it's like one of those 90s or I think early Uh, 90s thrillers. 2001, I'm looking, I'm just looking on IMDb. 2001 that, that movie came out. That's not the Ashley Judd one, though, is it? That's um, Kiss the Girls is the Ashley Judd one. Yes. I think Along Came a Spider is the, came after. Yes, I can't remember. Seat. But that's yeah, I don't think it's a great movie, but I did I did enjoy it. Maybe one for the podcast, because it is a se- our last sequel. Maybe, maybe. And the new, the new Alex Cross movie, I say new, it's probably about 10 years old now, with Matthew Fox in, that is a stinker. Oh, I don't think, I've, I think, I haven't watched that. Don't. I mean, maybe okay. if we do, if we cover it, then do, but don't for joy, for pleasure, because you won't find any. So the producers of the Bond franchise at this time, it was Michael Jill Wilson and Barbara Broccoli, admitted mm. they completely misjudged what the fans wanted from this franchise and accept the blame, mm. blame for the lavish tones of the movie. So, mm. but here's where our link comes in. This is the only second time in a Bond franchise in the Bond movie that we get to see James Bond's office. Claire, do you know what the first movie is? Funny you should ask. Is it (sighs) on Her Majesty's Secret Service? I think it might be. I find it hilarious that actually there's so many things that link these two. We didn't 
mm. pick these two movies with any of this in mind. But actually, yeah. we've as as we've been watching and researching, there's been quite a few things where we've drawn parallels. Like these are the two movies that that happens. These two movies both are full of throwbacks to previous Bond movies. That I yeah. I don't recall there being that many throwbacks in other movies from the franchise but in these two there are lots of little nods back to other movies there's loads of little links like that between these two and there's like props there's some props in um her magic secret service that are seen in his office that what are from some of the sean connery movies yeah don't see the light of day in any other bond film until die another day where they yeah. bring them out again for the anniversary because there's lots of Easter eggs because it's the anniversary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that's why this movie is so full of throwbacks. Of course, we had the title track by Madonna, Die Another Day. It yes. debuted in October 19th, 2002. It was a number one in hit in the UK and a number eight in the US. The song was nominated for a Golden Globe Award for Best Original Song. And at the same time, it was nominated for a Golden Raspberry Award for, <laughs> for Worst Original Song. Pop legend... Sir Elton John called it the worst Bond tune ever. I personally think Thanks. he's a bitter old queen who's just got upset no one asked him to ever sing a Bond song. So, But I was going to say name me a Bond song that's worse than this, but you're going to say the Sam Smith one, aren't you? No, and the one they used for Casino Royale that I suddenly had that random guy sing a song who I don't even know his name. Oh, the Chris Cornell one. No, yeah. is that the Chris Cornell one? I, I Call Your know. Name? I Call Your Name, yes, that's it. That's the one. Yeah. That was not a good See, song. so here's here's my thing with this song. I was going to save it for when we do um, our face-off later, but I'll talk about it now and I'll save some time later. There's some twisted logic. Yeah. Um, it's, I don't think it's that bad a song. I think it's just been really badly executed. I think it, it kind of is a bit of a parallel to the movie, really, because I, I watched, obviously, you, you hear it. I can't remember when was the last time I listened to this song in its entirety, probably when it was first out. But watching the movie, yeah. you hear it in its entirety. And it's not like you can walk off and leave the room and come back when the credits are over because there's actual things happening in unusual, atypically in yeah. this bomb in, in this movie, we see plot happening during the opening titles rather than just lots of floaty naked women. There are still floaty naked women, but there's things happening. So mm -hmm. you are watching the movie and you're listening to the song. And there were times that I thought, actually, this is not a bad song. And there were moments when Madonna sounded quite yeah. good because it wasn't so heavily produced. But it's just so overdone. And I guess it's probably a symptom of the time because it was the early thousands and everything had to go through fucking vocoder. And it's just like, she doesn't need auto-tune. She's fucking Madonna. Just let her write a song and sing it. I know this was her style at that point, but... But I think, yeah, that's the thing is it's her style. It's very much into her American life kind of period of her time. She had that, I think it was a French producer. He did, he she did some work with William Orbit, didn't she, at one point? Ray of Light was William Orbit. That's the William Orbit thing. That that was, this was, was this the album afterwards? Yeah, this was the album. Was it American Life or Music? No, I think it was uh, Ray of Light. My husband will kill me if I get this wrong. Ray of Light, Music, yeah. and then America. So I think we had Music. Make the ball come together, yeah, with Ali G. Um, but I feel like they gave her this song because rewind three years before, and she was in a massive high at that point because this was like after she had got past the mm -hmm. Madonna book, the, the sex book, and she had become a mom and she had cleaned up her image a little bit and she was married to Guy Ritchie and living yeah, the English, yeah, yeah. English life and you know, drinking in pubs <laughs> and flat caps and blah, blah, blah. But a couple of years before this, 
she did um beautiful stranger for the title song of austin powers yeah she did what is a good bond song but it's not for bond <laughs> it's yeah. for the spoof of bond what is austin powers oh yeah i haven't thought about that beautiful stranger and then, so I feel like they are kind of, they looked at that and was like, yeah. and that was a huge hit for her. Everybody was singing it. It was night 99. It was played in all the clubs and, it was, and they had the dance remix. And it was really good. And I'm like, we'll get Madonna to do it. She's done this before. And she handed in. And going, I die. I never die. Now, I still really like this song. I think it's fucking fantastic. I still listen to it today. But I do, I do live with an, a Madonna obsessive person. We have artwork of Madonna everywhere. Not everywhere. More than most people. You have more pictures of Madonna on your walls than most people who aren't Madonna or related to Madonna. I think that's fair. This is true. This is true. I won't tell you how much David just spent on uh, Madonna. Well, I can imagine. I can imagine. It makes my eyes water just thinking about it. (laughs) I I think the song is, I think the song is better than it, it, it is. I know that doesn't make sense. I think there's a good no, no, I'm not scared of Madonna fans at all. I am scared, like, a little bit scared of Madonna fans, but that's not why I'm... I just, for me, <laughs> it's just overproduced. I think it, I think underneath all of that, there's a really good song yeah. and a really good vocalist. And I just think, and this actually is pretty much my opinion of this movie, underneath, there is a decent story and there's some decent performances. And then they just, yeah. everything's just so 2002 that it makes it shit. Well, Madonna is the only person on a person who has sang the theme tune, written the theme tune, and been in the movie ever. Yeah. So she, no other person who's ever been in a Bond movie, sang the Bond song, has actually been in a Bond movie. So she has, she does she has that to hold. She and does. Although again, I think she's really um, and that was a, misused in this film. I think she, I think she's, she's wasted. Misused. That was the last day of filming. They filmed that. Yeah, they filmed that on the last day of production. So I think it was an afterthought. Um, I know her lines were actually oh, written by Guy Ritchie for this. So she, 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 she went home with the script and she wasn't really happy with it. And she was actually in that scene. They changed the line. She was actually, when she was supposed to introduce Bond mm. to Graves, um, she was supposed to say, she was supposed to say, this is Bond, James Bond. And they thought the fans would go nuts if Madonna said it, said a Bond. <laughs> no, face. that wouldn't have been okay. <laughs> that wouldn't have been okay. As you say, that's the first time it's said in the movie, isn't it? And it can't. No, no, I, no. I would have had a problem yeah. with that. No, <laughs> I just feel like the character is a bit of it. It's not just even that it's Madonna. I think the character is a bit wasted. I think they should have either not bothered with her or give it, or actually just made it apart. Yeah. She just she turns up and she's like, she's got this kind of allure about her because she's Madonna. She makes sort of art. And then she says a few things and yeah. and gets a little bit drooly over Rosamund Pike, and then off she goes. And you just think, well, what? Why is that? Where's you know? I don't yeah. know. They they could have done more with her. She was like she was like how they used to shoehorn cameos into um, carry on movies. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. You'd have somebody pop up or like. You know, in the old Batman TV series, and they just open the window, stick their heads out, and they're yeah, celebrities yeah, yeah. like Frank Sinatra, and then go back in the game. It's a bit like that. I was a bit like, oh, you're there. But her accent, who I remember watching this film and it got released, and I was always like, oh my God, her accent's terrible. And now I'm re watching it back, going, actually, she wasn't bad in this. Everybody else was equally shit. So, in aspects of. Was acting, she doing a British accent in that movie? Yes. Well, not oh, British accent. That. She was doing. She was Sorry, doing Madge. her. her 
early noughties Madonna I'm living in England voice mm. when she was writing the English Road. Do you remember she wrote those kids books? Yeah, I do. I do. A Jinx, who played by Holly Berry in this movie, who I think's done a fantastic job for what she is given with. She's just Holly Berry being yeah, Holly yeah. Berry. Uh, she was rumoured to get a spin-off series, movie series from this film that didn't go anywhere because the producers decided to change direction again. Mm. And But they offered the same thing to Michelle Yeoh after Tomorrow Never Dies for her character. And she was actually supposed to make a cameo in this movie. Oh. But then they thought that would be too confusing and she wasn't available. Oh, I would have liked that. I feel, the problem with this movie is it's over bloated. There's too much CGI. Mm. And you would think after seeing Batman and Robin that chilling a giant laser beam and make it powered by the sun was a bad idea. But obviously those, those writers and producers did not go back and watch that movie from seven years beforehand but claire mm. is there anything that you liked or disliked about this film um i like that over the course of the brosnan era the women in these movies get increasingly more agency i do like that i feel yes. like there's real progress made in terms of bond girls even from the beginning of you know even in golden eye i mean natalia in golden eye is a lot punchier than since some of the previous bond girls we've seen but she's still a bit wishy-washy she still just kind of follows him around yeah. and gets captured a few times and Whereas by now, these women are agents. They are double agents. We've got, obviously, Judy Dench as M. So, you know, the women are taking a much more prominent role. I liked, I liked the fact that we had that kind of passage of time montage through the opening credits rather than just weird shapes and guns and naked floaty women. And I liked all of those little nods back to the previous Bond movies all the way through. Mm. In terms of what I don't like, <laughs> I just got some really short bullet points you would be surprised to hear for this. I, I thought I would keep it quite short by this point. John Cleese. I, this is not, a, oh, yeah. I have no issue yeah. with John Cleese as a person. I like a lot of his work. I don't like his work in the Bond movies, partly because I'm such a big fan, I think, of Desmond Llewellyn as I mentioned earlier. So I think... But he was dead at this point. So he I know him. he was dead at this point. I know he was dead at this point. But he wasn't dead when they but, introduced John Cleese. But that's what gets me is, did he... Was he terminally ill? Because in The World Is Not Enough, they bring John Cleese in to kind of like do this whole yes. handing over thing for... Yes. So he wasn't... I don't know. But he clearly knew that was going to be his last Bond movie. And it, it they certainly presented it as if he'd made the decision that it was going to be his last Bond movie. Yeah. Whether he knew that he wasn't going to be around for much longer or whether he thought he was going to have a retirement I don't know and there's so many more British actors who are known but not like established like John Cleese is in America yeah. or like anybody who well known that could have done it like I think that if they're going to replace him with somebody David Jason would have been amazing in that role kind of like poor blimey governor to be fair kind of like I I think whoever they got in would have probably got slated because by this stage, Desmond Llewellyn oh, yeah, had been in every single Bond movie. He was the only actor who had been in every single Bond movie up to this point. And this is the first movie in the franchise that didn't have him in. Yeah. So I think whoever it was, people were going to slag off. Um, and like I said, it's nothing really against, against John Cleese. I, I like a lot of his work. I just don't like him in this particularly. Yeah. There was not enough Judy Dench for my taste in this movie either what she did was brilliant because she's judy dench but i would have loved to have seen more of her i mean the thing is he was separated from mi6 for a lot of the movie so i think that would have been tricky to do but and also the last movie before that she was stuck in a cell talking to robbie coltrane not robbie coltrane who was robert carlisle who was robert carlisle that's it just speaking to her from 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 bars at yes. like a set 
Let me out. I'm Judy Dench. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do not like Beardy Bond. That is a big no, no from me. He spent hours. He spent hours and hours in a chair before shooting every time he had to do those scenes because that's a fake beard, so obviously because he looks like a hobo. He does. I was look just like, like why didn't he just Chris double? I was a bit like, well, it was a fourteen-month beard, isn't it? That's supposed to be a fourteen-month beard, but no. But his hair wasn't that long. His hair was if pretty your hair, long, but it wasn't like fourteen months. Like if I didn't cut my hair for a year, it would be longer than that. I don't know. He, had the, he just had like a Noel Gallagher kind of sweat. I don't know, it. but yeah, I, I, I like a man with a beard. I do not like James Bond with a beard. That was not a thing for me. The whole movie. Is I just... didn't know where he. Go on. I didn't know where his beard finished and his chest head began. Is <laughs> he velcroing to himself? Merging. <laughs> yeah. um, I just felt that the whole movie was just too long. There was there was oh, a lot in this movie that I enjoyed. Long. There were lots of moments that I enjoyed. There was a lot in it. It's a, there's a decent movie in there somewhere, but it's just way longer than it needs to be. We, like it, it could have ended after the Ice Palace. It, I thought it was going to end. I thought the movie had ended, and then they got in a helicopter and had another fight. I was just like, why isn't this movie over yet? So yeah, that's that's kind of where I am on it, I suppose. So where do we go now, Claire? We are going into Bond versus Bond. Insert sound effect here. This is Bond versus Bond. So what we've done is we have taken eight categories. It's a bit like top trumps. So we've got eight categories. Uh, and then we have, mm-hmm. each of us has scored both movies in these categories. And we're going to yes. add up all the scores and we're going to see which one is the better bad Bond movie. Does that make sense? Yeah. I get it. Lovely. I do get it. Are you going to tell us... The- Tell us those I'm going to tell you. Claire. I'm going to tell us the categories. So the categories are theme song, yep. the smoothness of Bond, the yep. evilness slash campness of the Bond villain, the yep. badassness of the Bond girl, yep. the overall plot, yep. the action scenes, Ooh. The uh, levels of political correctness slash incorrectness. And just to be clear, a low score is bad. A high score is good for that. And yeah. because it's these two movies, use of snow. Always a good Because there's always a random always a category topic. at the bottom of your top swamps card that you're like, why are we even looking at this? And these are there's, <laughs> we've got two snowy Bond movies here. So use of snow. So... And that's not the cocaine going around the set children. That's just <laughs> literally the wet stuff that you find outside in the winter. Yeah. So we're going to go through the categories. We score our movie. You can justify your score, but this is not a point for discussion. We've been recording for over an hour by now, and we do not want people falling yeah. asleep listening to this. So we are going to rattle through. We're going to score our movies. We're going to explain the score. There's no big discussion. We move on. So first Category. Not a debate club. I know. No debate club. So, first category: theme song on Her Majesty's Secret Service. I have scored this movie eight out of ten for its theme song. Now, I've kind of put two great themes together for this because we've got our opening scene, our opening theme on Her Majesty's Secret Service, 
which is the instrumental. And then we've got our um, song, We Have All the Time in the World, which for reasons I don't understand in this movie, is also instrumental. We do not hear the song in the movie, but the, it is the, type, the, the theme song of the movie, but we don't hear it with vocals. So that's why I've that's why I've scored it down from, I would have gone 10 out of 10 because it's two brilliant themes, but one of them isn't actually in the movie. So it loses marks from me. How about you? Well, I gave it, I just put it down as I like that song. I like, it's iconic. And I know that the lyrics don't appear in the film, but I just voted that as a body of that song. I put down 10 because I think that song's amazing. I didn't really think about it as much as you did. I was a bit kind of like, is it in the film? Is it in the film? Because if I th- if I had to do like you did, I would have to put it down to like a one or a two <gasps> because it's not actually in the song, in the film. I'm sure I remember so, it being in the film. I'm sure I've seen the film and it be in there, but I, it wasn't in there when I watched it last week. So I guess that was a dream. Yes. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just class it as the song, the song that was released and it had the lyrics in. So as an actual standing song by itself away from Bond, I'm going to give it 10 out. There we go. And then for... Die Another Day? I'm a massive Bond fan. My husband's a massive Madonna fan. So we have had this song played in the house quite a lot. And I know it's not perfect. And I know it doesn't really work as a, for a lot of the work as a Bond theme. But I would give it 8 out of 10. Okay. Claire? I've scored it 6 out of 10. Like I said before, it's, I don't mind it as a song. That actually, having listened to it again, it's not a bad song. Mm. We know Madonna is a good vocalist. But it's just so heavily underproduced. Overproduced, I mean. Yeah. Um but I, I had to mark it down for that. There okay. we go. I get you. Next category, the smoothness of your bond on Her Majesty's Secret Service. I have scored this movie seven out of ten. Because I find him quite suave. And I, I kind of found that little nod to camera in the cold open amusing, even though it is quite weird. But yeah. there was, I marked it down a little bit because there were a couple of times when it it felt like he was trying to channel Connery a bit too much rather than yes. making it his own character. I agree. How about you? What's your score for that then? He, I gave him seven as well. Mm-hmm. But he was very suave, but he just made me moist for milk tray, to be honest, more than <laughs> other bit. Like, you could swing through my window and bring me a, a, a tray of milk tray every Christmas. I wouldn't have an issue with that. Fair enough. Or fryer's mint, whatever he did before. But yeah, he's more of a chocolate advert type bond than he is. But he's smooth as he was very smooth. Yeah. He was very smooth. And for Die Another Day, how have you scored Mr. Brosnan? Oh, I gave him nine. I find him very smooth in other ones. In this one, I would, if this was GoldenEye or Tomorrow Never Dies, it'd be 10 out of 10. Mm. I think he's a very sexy Bond. But World Is Not Enough and Die Another Day, nine. I knocked a point off just because the film's a bit shitter. But I still think he's quite smooth and quite sexy in them. Yeah, agreed. I also scored him nine. What, what? Because I, I think, I mean, Brosnan is my favourite Bond. Yes. I think he's a quality James Bond. I just, I marked him down a little bit because his his one-liners in this movie are so cheesy. I know his one-liners throughout his whole tenure are so cheesy. Yeah. But uh, that thing at the end, I thought that the worst line he ever spoke was the one about Christmas only coming once a year. And then I watched this movie and he said that line about, what was that about us going down together? Oh, oh, Pierce, you're better than this. You're better than this. Nine out of ten for me. Villains. Okay. 
tell us about villains yeah. on Her Majesty's Secret Service. I have scored our villains uh, seven out of ten for this movie. You always get points for having Blofeld in the movie for me. If it's it, Blofeld is is kind of your kind of top notch vil- Bond villain. Telly Savalas is a decent villain. He's not quite camp enough for me, but I've I've bumped the score up a little bit because I've included um, I factored. Ilsa Stepper in as Irma Bunt as well. I've kind of put her in the villain category. Um, If it was just her, I'd actually score higher um, because I think she's brilliant. I love that she gets to fire that killer shot at the end. That's one thing I really like. In the book, it's Blofeld. That's one point where they deviated from the book. How about you? What's your score? How's he going to shoot a um, a direct shot into somebody's head or chest while he's got a neck brace on and drive a car at the same time? Well, he didn't have to be driving. She could have been driving, but yes. Yeah. I would give the villains in this a four. Oh. I just didn't really connect with them. No. I was a bit like, she gets the whole four. The other people are like, other Blofeld, I thought was a bit shit in it. There's a scene where they're trying to shove Bond into a cupboard underneath the crane or something so he could climb out easily. And then he went, he hit the bad guys in the face and then Blofeld was just kind of like, oh yeah, I just stand here. He literally just stood there. He didn't react to it whatsoever. I was a bit like, well, you, did you realise the camera was on you? Yeah, for I thought it was a little bit weak, to be honest. Mm. And uh, how about for Die Another Day? Die Another Day, I gave six. I don't like the fact that he was Korean and then they made him white afterwards. I was a bit like, oh, yeah. it's kind of like blackface. I was a bit awkward. So I gave him six because I thought Toby Stevens did a good enough job as a Bond guy. I just didn't like the aspect of how they, where the villain came from and how they portrayed the villain. Yeah. How about for I scored five out of ten. I I think he's he brings the camp. He is chewing the yes. scenery in some of these scenes, chomping down on that polystyrene ice hotel. Hundred percent. But I don't find him particularly evil. Yeah. I, I just didn't. I didn't find any real sense of menace in him. I didn't really believe that he was going to be able to to space laser the Korea or whatever it was he yeah. was trying to do. Bond girls is our next category. On Her Majesty's Secret yeah. Service, I have scored, and we were looking particularly at um, the badassness of the Bond girls, um, the amount of agency they have, not just kind of being sexy, floaty, lovely girls, um, which they all are. I scored this four out of ten. Yeah. Well, I think Tracy is a brilliant character, but she's not actually in the movie very much. She's quite underused. And the Blofeld girls, there's just nothing to them. They could be made out of paper and it wouldn't change the movie. I think they get no real action. Yeah. There's no character development. And as you say, they go through this whole plot line and then they just get off on a bus and fuck off home. And that's it. Done. Yeah. How about you? I gave them six. I didn't want to, I was going to give them five. Then I felt bad because there were so many of them. So I gave them six. <laughs> so it's like a point each. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. And for Die Another Day? Die Another Day, I gave Bonaf, I gave them eight. I thought they were kick ass, but there was a couple of, I think they could have been a bit more kind of like deadly. Like, for me, Michelle Yeoh mm-hmm. is the most ultimate Bond girl of all time. She kicked fucking ass in it. Yeah. She was better than Bond in it. So for me, like, Michelle Yeoh's a 10, so I took it away from there. And I'll give it an 8. I'll give it an 8. How about you? Um, I said 8 as well. I think I think Halle Berry is one of the strongest Bond girls outside of the Daniel Craig era. Although, as you say, Michelle Yeoh just is next level um, as a Bond girl. Yeah. I was really disappointed at how quickly she went to bed with Bond, although obviously you, you can factor in that there may have been another agenda at play there and she might have been bonding Bond, if you see what I mean. They had to squeeze that in. They had far more action scenes and CGI to build. So they were like, 
get out of and done with, then we go back to action. Oh, okay. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Rosamund Pike, I didn't really wasn't so fussed about. Um, she tries hard. She she the double cross thing, she kind of it worked, but um like that fight at the yeah. end, you don't believe for a second that she's gonna take on Halle Berry in a fight. You know that she's gonna lose no. before they've even started. So yeah. Halle Berry good, Rosamund Me. Pike. Meh. Meh. Overall plot. Now I think we need to we're using the word plot what generously plot? for both of these movies. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, 100%. On Her Majesty's Secret Service, I have scored seven out of ten. I think it's a really good concept, but there's an awful lot of exposition that goes nowhere with the whole Angels of Death plot. I really like that plot, yeah. and I really hate that it's just like, oh, and now it's not happening. I gave it five. There was no plot. And when you think the plot they did build, they didn't pay it off. So it was five. They, they they strung enough together for me to go to the middle, beginning, middle, and end. Done. There's your five points. But plot-wise, there was more. I felt there was more, the five points are really for the romance aspect. Of yeah. It's more plot-based than in the actual action scenes that strings together. So I give it five points. And for Die Another Day? Seven. There's a big laser. Enough done. That's all I need. We need laser, laser is not powered plot. by the sound. Laser is not plot. It's Bond. Mm. There's Bond. There's a big laser. That's all I need. Okay. Done. I, I scored you? this one five out of ten. It, it, this movie, Rude. this movie, <laughs> it somehow manages to be paper thin and overstuffed at the same time. There's so many things go on. I don't deny that. So many things go on in this movie and yet nothing happens. <laughs> so no, it's five out of ten for me. Action scenes on Her Majesty's Secret Service. I have scored this seven out of ten. I think um the wide angle shots look look good. The close shots are a little bit they're a little bit pink panthery in terms of the fight. Like you can see, it's a really choreographed fight. Yeah. They kind of grab each other by the shoulders and shake from side to side, and then back and forth. And then I throw you on through through the table, and you land on your back and go ouch. And it was just a bit. Yeah, it was the sixties, and so you cut them a little bit of slack. But yeah, and there's some really weird cuts as well. Like in the bobsleigh fight scene, there was like a really weird cut to Blofeld's foot. We had like three four seconds yeah. of Blofeld's foot in a bobsleigh. I was like, why? Why are we looking at this while they're fighting? So, yeah, it was weird. seven out of ten for me. It was weird. Um, six, meh, above average. Um, it was entertaining because it was like watching, a, it was a 60s movie. Like you said, it was very, to the point, I'm going to throw you over my shoulder and you're going to just fall on the mm. floor. And then I'm going to walk away and then you're going to get up and I'm going to punch you in the face again. So, you, so I get that comical laugh that you got up. It was all that kind of stuff. So. It was all right. It was meh. It was six years. I got what I wanted from it, but it wasn't astounding. Okay. And for Die Another Day? Seven. I gave the action scenes there. There was a lot of seven. I thought the action scenes in this film were really, really good. I took a three point for all the bad CGI and all three major scenes that needed to be CGI'd. Yeah. <laughs> so many. Yeah. I was a bit like, this is a really, really good scene if they just fucking filmed it and didn't have it on the blue screen. Yeah. Like, all of it would have been great if they just didn't have so much CGI. Those waves when he jumped, when the speed racer thing fell off the side and the laser beam was oh. chasing him, and then he ends up, then he turns the parachute from the speed racer into a glider and then surfs the, the high wave that is an ocean that surrounded... I'm like, I didn't realise they had waves like that when there's so much snow around. Yeah. 
was like geographically it was a bit like wow well it was that awkward point in cinematography when they they thought they had really good technology and they really didn't didn't they and it it really shows in this movie i completely agree with everything you've just said and i actually scored it exactly the same seven out of ten for me Political correctness. This is an interesting category for Bond. Uh, so low score is is bad. High score is good. For On Her Majesty's Secret yeah. Service, I have scored this four out of ten. Tracy is great. I love that the first time they sleep together, he wakes up in the morning and she is gone. I really liked that yeah. about her character. But we've got violence towards women. He is super sleazy. He sleeps with at least two other women after he's supposedly fallen in love with Tracy he gets offered money to marry her although he does decline it to be fair I gave a couple of points back Bunt has agency the female villain but she's presented as a a not particularly attractive woman even though the actress playing her was beautiful Um, but because she's the bad guy she can't be pretty which obviously we know changed later on in the franchise and we just had lots of generic European bad guys. It was all a bit like speak with a German accent and then you can be a bad guy in our movie kind of thing, which, yeah, again, it was it, it's the 60s, but it's still not okay. How about you? Well, I was quite surprised in this because I didn't really think anything in this film was that bad compared <laughs> to previous installments of Bond or other movies that came out in the 60s that were pretty racist. Like I was expecting one of the bad guys to be called some, like something, Hong Chow Chicken or something like they used to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I was like... Oh, yeah, by 60s standards, I suppose this that? is quite progressive. Yeah, so I looked at it through the 60s lens and I thought the women were quite strong in it, even though I the, the points I did knock off for it were when every time they kept slapping Dinah Rigg. Yes. Like Bond slapped her and then her dad slapped her and I was a bit like, stop punching this poor woman. So I gave it seven... I didn't really think, I thought the women were quite strong. You know, it was the 60s, better than I thought it would be. Okay, okay. And how about Die Another Day? Five. Oh, my God. <laughs> Let's turn a, a Korean guy white by having a DNA storyline that is completely unnecessary in this film just to get a famous person to play a Korean, but he's not really Korean. Yeah. And then it, it was kind of like they had the Chinese henchmen, the black henchmen, they had weird names. Yeah, I would say... Um, it, it it wasn't as bad as other Bonds. Five points off straight away just for the whole villain storyline, just so we can have that double identity thing. Yeah. A bit weird for me. Yeah. I scored it a six. The women are much more empowered in this version of Bond than, than in yeah. previous versions. We've got a female M, which is a huge progress, even if it does take a few movies for her to get the respect of the men around her. I like that, you know, Jinx and Miranda were both agents rather than just random damsels. But they still, you know, they get straight into bed with him, which is a bit disappointing. I was pleased to see that we moved away from the usual Bond trope of generic Eastern European villain with facial disfigurement and a grunge against Bond. And we've translated that all the way up to a Korean villain, with facial disfigurement and a grudge against Bond. This is a real yeah. bugbear of mine, actually. And I, I, almost every Bond movie, because it happens in almost every Bond movie, I end up driving my husband nuts because I love the Bond movies, but I hate that there's all of the villains are just, there, there's so much facial disfigurement. And it's. That's probably the reason why I really like GoldenEye and Tomorrow Never Dies, because both of them are actually British actors who are playing British yeah. against British. But even then, we've got so, facial disfigurement on Alec Trevelyan. He's handsome, sharp at the beginning of the movie, and by the end, he's got oh, burns yes. from the from the, the explosion in the opening. You know, almost, not all, That's true. but in, in an awful lot of Bond movies, 
we see um, a villain who has suffered facial disfigurement, often at the hands of Bond, not always. And he's got a grudge against Bond for that reason. They're almost all generic Eastern European, maybe they're Russian. Um, And obviously for this one, they thought, well, we can't have another Russian bad guy. Who else is bad? I know. Let's make them Korean. That's so much better. No, no, it's not. Yeah, I just find it really disappointing that even still now, we're yet to see a positive representation of disability in a Bond film. I'd love to see that for whatever comes next for Bond. That's my challenge to the Bond producers is to to just move away from that whole trope. It drives me insane. Our final category. Is that our final category? Who saved the best for last? Use of snow. Use of snow in a Bond movie on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Eight out of ten. I think their use of snow in this movie is very good. The reason it doesn't get a ten out of ten, and it's not their fault, the the avalanche scenes were due to be filmed. Um, the Swiss Army were were going to be cooperating in making this happen. They were going to so the the mountains that the avalanche took place on uh, annually. The Swiss Army hold controlled explosions to force an avalanche so that it can be done yeah. in a controlled way so that it doesn't so snow doesn't build up enough that then you end up with a, an even larger natural avalanche this was all set up as part mm-hmm. of the production and then just before filming the area avalanched by itself naturally so they had to create a fake avalanche so they ended up doing uh they they set up a second unit to, to make some sort of man-made av- avalanche elsewhere in Switzerland they used stock footage which is why we cut away to the, the weird random stock avalanche footage yeah. in the movie and then they they did special effects as much as they could in 1969 so then the result that we get is this weird kind of crossroads type kind of action shot where it kind of cuts between a really shonky looking backdrop and then the stock footage and then crossroads for anyone who doesn't i'm not talking about the britney spears movie crossroads was a, a really shonky british soap i guess the equivalent would be something like um sunset beach is it Sunset Beach that we used to watch in the 90s where they yeah. you would spot the rock that they had reused in the previous yeah. scene? And this that's, that kind of ends up being the effect of that scene. And the, the principal actors weren't allowed to ski for insurance reasons, as we know from him breaking his arm. So all of those close-ups were then filmed at the studio in Pinewood. So that's why it looks a little bit shonky. But apart from that, I think the, the use of snow in this movie is very promising. What about you? I give it a nine... The film ends with a bobsleigh fight. You can't really get more snow than that. Yeah. And if somebody gets chewed up by a snowplow, that, that that height of snow use for me. Yes. I gave it a nine. I didn't care how it looked. It was the 60s. I looked at it through the lens of watching a film in the 60s in the modern day world. So I just thought it was fun, you know. Yeah. And for Die Another Day? Six, because they didn't really use it. It wasn't a part of the story. When they were in it, it was just kind of like a nice hotel or it wasn't really, they didn't really involve a lot of the snow, elements of snow for the average person. Um, and the snow was either looked really fucking shit or it was CGI'd or it made it look really fucking shit. Yeah. So. Yeah. I scored it a three out of 10. I'm not convinced there's any actual snow in this movie. No. I think it's all either polystyrene no. or... CGI. It certainly looks like polyester, like the bits where you've got movement of snow. I was like, that does not look like snow to me. So yes, it's a three out of 10 for me. That means our totals are... For Her Majesty's Secret Service, we have got 50 
54 from you and 52 from me, which gives us a total of 106 out of a possible 160. For Die Another Day, you scored 56, I scored 49. So that is a total of 105 out of 160. So it's official by a mere whisker on Her Majesty's Secret Service is better than Die Another Day. Although I think the main takeaway is that we both scored these movies very much in the two-thirds kind of score. The potential was 160 and we barely passed 100 for either of them. So, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, on Her Majesty's Secret Service is better, but better is a relative term. They're still not fantastic. But listeners, what do you think? Do you agree that Die Another Day is the pits of Bond movies? Or is there another film from the franchise that you would have put into the mix? Let us know in the comments, email us on unlovesequels at gmail.com or find us on the socials at unlovesequels to join in the conversation. And please do take a moment to rate us and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. So it's goodbye from me, Michael. And from me, Claire. Take care, guys. Wait, don't pull it out. I'm not finished with it yet. See? It's a perfect fit. Uh Uh-huh. Leave it in. Well, it's going to come out sooner or later. No, leave it in, please. A few more minutes. Mm. I really have to get these back. Still the good guys, huh?